0: Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are a Jesus community telling the biggest story of God in Los Angeles. We're excited that you're joining the conversation with us today. Enjoy. Uh, I'm going to bring up Candice Zubernaut, everybody. (laughs) Candice Zubernaut is, what am I going to say? You're preaching today. Bringing the word in the pulpit. No, no one says that anymore. Yeah, that sounds awful. I really need to get you a better setup. Candice is an amazing friend. Uh, she's the founder of the Christian Closet um, and Progressive Christian Counseling. Uh, she's an incredibly thoughtful human being. She's somebody who's doing the work in the world to integrate things like spirituality and sexuality. She's nuanced. She's capable. She's a badass. Now that's an introduction. Candice Zubernath, everybody. Thanks, Corey. Thanks, Corey. So we believe in conversation here in New Abbey. I personally believe that as we interact with one another and see each of our faces, we experience God. And in sharing what's really going on inside of us, just saying it out loud is healing. So we're going to break up into groups and start with this question. Where is it easy for you to be harsh with yourself? back before my wife Crystal and I were an old married lesbian couple with two kids and a white picket fence we were a youngish couple closeted living in Seattle which is a total bummer because Seattle is for sure one of the gayest cities ever and we did not get to live our best gay selves there but there was a lot of Patagonia and flannel so there's that it's not so bad But we were closeted because we were terrified um, that Crystal would lose her job. Uh, She worked in seminary. And that we both would lose our community. Um, And so when it came time to move, we really didn't have many people we could call. Because when you're closeted, one of the things that happens is that you pull away from your community and you become isolated. So it was finally time for us to move. We decided that we were going to move from Seattle to Chicago actually to come out, which is fantastic. But we really didn't have anyone to call. And so it was just her and I. So we lived on the third floor of this condo. And every single box was taken down the hallway, around the corner, into the elevator. And um, Crystal's a real great helper. But she, at the time, had like a bad back. It's funny how the, like, bad back comes up every once in a while. (laughs) So here's me. Also, I was still trying to impress her. So I was like, yeah, I can totally move the condo by myself. Like, I got this. Nowadays, I'd be like, screw that. We're hiring people. But so I'm carrying all the boxes. And then it comes to the couch. The couch. The couch is so heavy. So I come up with this idea that what I'm going to do is I'm going to put the couch on a blanket and pull the blanket. I'm pulling the blanket down the hallway and around. The other thing about Crystal, this is my true confessions about you, honey, (laughs) is that she is very competent. So almost anything that happens, she can see a better way to do it really quickly. So I don't even remember what she said, but she for sure had, like, an easier way for me to do this. But by this time, I was like, oh, hell no. So I'm just, like, pulling this couch, I'm pulling the couch, and I get into the elevator, and it's just me because it's only me and the, and the couch can fit in the elevator. You know, it's, like, one of those things where you're, like, kicking something, but it's so hard, it doesn't move. And so I'm, like, pushing it out of the elevator. I get, it, I get into the storage unit, and I decide... I am alone and I'm gonna let her have it. So I get in the elevator and I just start cursing her out. Crystal wasn't there, I was alone. This was not meant for her. This was not meant for any other human being. But my not so nice language and not, not so nice comments about Crystal just echoed through that little box. I did not know that. So it goes up, and my rage as the doors open, my rage turns to shock. Because as the doors open, I realize she's standing right there, and she says to me, I heard everything. Not my best moment. Now, it just so happens I did find the world's best person to partner with because I didn't actually deserve what happened next. And she totally just started laughing. (laughs) She thought I was so ridiculous, which I totally was. (laughs) But it was incredibly kind, and it broke the tension, and we pretty much fell on the ground laughing. And to this day, we still uh, laugh about it. Every once in a while, we, we remember it. It's a tender moment. But I think we all have those moments, right? Those moments where we just really lose it. And sometimes it's witnessed by someone else, even if we don't know it's witnessed by someone else. But a lot of times it's in those quiet moments where we're really tearing ourselves a new one. These places are deeply intimate and they're vulnerable and they're unique to each one of us. Oftentimes, these places where we're the most harsh with ourselves, we also just look so insecure. There's those of us who just hate our bodies. No matter how much we work out, no matter how many times we lose that last five pounds, we just feel disgusting. Those of us who are gay, and even though in a place like New Abbey, it's not necessarily PC to say this, you just really still wish you weren't gay and you fear maybe actually it is wrong or that your dreams have been stolen because you can't actually have the job that you really want because you're gay. Or if you're like me and you're a parent, even though you try so hard to do the things better than your parents did, you always still feel like a failure. It's just not enough. And we hear those voices of harshness and judgment so strong in our minds. And it's painful and it tears us down. Um, I wonder what those places are for you. I wonder if it's what you shared in your group. Or even as I talk, if something new is coming to your mind. We're going to look to Matthew. Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your sibling's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your sibling, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own, you hypocrite? First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your sibling's eye. Okay, so don't judge or you will be judged. Super simple. I could just like end the sermon right there, except for that it is really freaking hard. I don't know if you all are like me, but it seems especially now to be getting harder and harder to not do this. I mean, every day I just have to try and stay away from the news because I just feel so angry at people. People who are just like family members who read half of an article like six months ago about the vaccine and so now they're not gonna get vaccinated because like someday they might wanna get pregnant and they think that maybe they won't be able to because that half half of the article that they read. For the Republicans out here, those liberals who just seem to think that they know everything all the time. Christians calling their LGBTQ family members saying, It's my calling to love you like Jesus does, and so I have to tell you out of love, I'm not coming to your wedding. Parents getting in fights over their kids wearing masks at school. You guys, it is hard. It is really, really hard. But I think that there is this connection between our hatred, our judgment of ourselves, and the way that we judge others. They are intrinsically connected. And I'm a therapist, so I'm going to geek out a little bit. The place that they are connected, I think, actually is in our mind through a place called the amygdala. Can you say amygdala? And you've probably heard of the amygdala. It is, um, some of you might know, it's called the fight-flight uh, place. It's, it helps us survive. It's a small, tiny, two small little almond-shaped sections in, a, in the deep part of our brain. Um, and the amygdala, essentially, you're coming out of your cave, you know, you're a cave person, and you come out of your cave, and there's a cyber, what are those, cyber tooth tigers? Is that how you say it? Say saber. Thank you, saber. I know my animals. Cyber, saber. Also could be cyber nowadays. It's a cyber tiger. They're going to hack my email. (laughs) And you see a butterfly, and that part of your brain is like, ah, you know, danger. So when we see these people that we judge, oftentimes what's happening is our mind very quickly is saying, this is dangerous. These people are dangerous. It's trying to help you survive. And I know it might seem like a kind of a big jump, but those places where you're harsh with yourself, actually a very similar thing is trying to happen. When I think about this in biblical terms, I'm going to go somewhere that's probably a little bit unlikely to go. I'm going to go to the Pharisees. When I think about my amygdala and the Bible, I'm like, man, those Pharisees, I bet you they wouldn't wear masks. (laughs) You think. But also I think like, okay, so if my judgment of myself, the places where I'm harsh with myself, when I just can't get a break and my judgment towards others is like this automatic thing that's trying to help me survive is there hope. Because it's not like I can, I don't know, just decide like, hey, amygdala, you know, chill out, stop it. (laughs) It's hard. It is, it feels, and a lot of the times it is automatic. So I want to look to the Pharisees as, a place of possible hope. Um, So John 8, 1 through 9. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis to accuse him. But Jesus bent down and started to write in the ground with his finger. And when they kept questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote in the ground, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Now, I think most of us have heard lots of sermons on this passage. In fact, I think I've even preached about the sermon here at New Abbey. And oftentimes, I think we, you know, we imagine ourselves in the place of the woman, which is totally legit. I think me at this elevator scenario was the woman, like, caught red-handed. <laughs> but what if there are actually also a part of us that is the Pharisee? And I don't even mean the Pharisees towards other people judging them. I mean, what if the part of us that is so harsh and judgmental towards ourselves is more like the Pharisees? Who were the Pharisees? The Pharisees were a group of Jewish men. Yes, they were men because women weren't like full human beings. We didn't even get songs written about us yet. It's really, really far away. And so they were a group of Jewish men, and they were incredibly concerned with purity, with sticking to the law. And they wanted to stick to the law because they wanted to please God. It wasn't just because they were like, they wanted to be mean or something. They It was like out of the innermost place of like, we want to be close to God and honor God. They did a lot of horrible things. It is true. But I think that a lot of the times they had pretty good intentions. So when we leave this story, what we have is we have the woman and she's meek and grateful, which is awesome and hopefully going to be healed. And we have Jesus as the hero, which I'm totally okay with Jesus as the hero. But I want us to use our imaginations with the Pharisees, because to me, if we just leave them at the end of the story, like, do they go home and become better people? I I doubt it. And so if they don't go, go home and become better people, like, what's the hope for us? What's the hope for those parts of me? So what I want to do is I want us to, like, imagine, I want to imagine Jesus following up with these guys. That in the days that follow this experience, that Jesus goes to each and every single one of them individually. And Jesus comes and and he says, like, I know why you came to me the other day. I know that you were scared. I know that you are scared. I know that you're scared that you're going to get it wrong. That I am bringing about something new, and that is terrifying. Their amygdala was like, warning, warning, Jesus is bad and going to be, it's going to be bad. (laughs) I couldn't think of another word besides bad in that moment. But that Jesus, Jesus knew that, like, that shame, shame does not change us. I mean, raise your hand if, like, shame has changed you in a way that you're, like, super stoked about. (laughs) Frankie, not you. But that is why I have to believe or I want to believe that Jesus followed up with these men because Jesus understood that shame does not change us, but that Jesus could even understand that these men who also almost got this woman killed, which I think Jesus would also point out to them, it is not okay that in your fear, you almost got a woman killed. But that Jesus wanted them to change too. Because Corey likes to remind us that your healing is connected to my healing and my healing is connected to your healing. And I think that is exactly true. We need healing for the woman, but we also need healing and for the Pharisees. So, when you find yourself reading CNN and you feel that judgment, that harshness towards those people at the school board meeting, I hope that what you can begin to see is their humanness, because when we begin to allow our Pharisee parts to be changed by Jesus's calm, compassionate voice, we get to see the other's humanness. And so we can begin to say, oh, I think, I wonder if those people that are like fight, fist fighting teachers, their, their amygdala is like majorly going. They, they stay up at night, awake, they can't sleep because they have so much anxiety that something big and bad is going to happen to their kids if they wear masks. Do you know what? It doesn't make sense to me, but it, something is happening inside of them that is really big and scary. And even if they can't name it particularly, it's happening. Just like I stay awake at night with anxiety that if someone doesn't wear their mask, my kid's going to get COVID. It's the same part of our brain that's going on. So if I can be gracious to myself, The Pharisee part of me, I want Jesus to come and that compassionate Candace, I see you. I see you not only of course, when you're kicking the crap out of the couch, but when you yell at your kids and nobody else is there. So no one else knows that I yelled at my kids, except for maybe my neighbor. And then they look at me and they're so sad. And I'm like, I'm the world's worst mom. I'm the Pharisee. That the same way, the same tender, compassionate voice of Jesus can come to me and heal that part of me too. So I want us to break back up into those same groups and answer this question. What do you think the voice of Jesus would say to those places you are most harsh to yourself?